0: This is an Economy of One, your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
1: Greetings and welcome again from an economy of one. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, economyof1.com. And economyofone.com onecom as is our Facebook. An economy of One on Facebook. You got a comment or question? Don't hesitate to go there and ship it in to me, and I'll see what I can do with it. Joining me now is John Crabtree. He spent his entire career in the IT sector, and since 2006, he's been part of the Nemesis team, most recently as the virtual chief information officer and director of operations. I've asked John to join us today, talk a little bit about the ransomware and the WannaCry virus that uh, we heard about this week. John, welcome to An Economy of One. thank you thank you for having me Uh, you know let's let's start off with the the basics because I'm a baby boomer and I remember when we didn't have computers and had three channels on the TV so let's go back a little bit and just what is ransomware first of all
2: sure ransomware is where something digital is being held against your will this is very similar to uh, the thought process of a ransom on a person except for instead of a person it's going to be your digital files that they are holding Um, and the files are typically targeted in these attacks are common files that you would use such as your documents pictures and music
1: okay so it's what's on your hard drive essentially or or stored somewhere on your computer that you tap into from time to time That's correct. Okay. Now, the ransomware, this was a big attack, uh, at least widespread, let's put it that way, but didn't really have a lot of effect from what I read too much in the U.S., did it? Uh, No, not actually. It seemed to be more overseas than the European side. Now, why do you think that was? I mean, are we just lucky over here, or, I mean, can a ransomware be regional like that?
2: Uh, This particular one can, based on how its attack was. And uh, unfortunately, it started there, and uh, as it was spreading, Uh, I think the news was able to get the word out, and more and more people started to protect their systems.
1: Yeah. How does that spread from computer to computer? Well, in in most common situations,
2: um, ransomware or viruses in general are going to be sent to an individual in various different ways, whether it's a directed attack or just uh, spear phishing, uh, where you just get a bulk message, and they're hoping that you'll click a link or click the attached file to infect your machine and compromise it. Um, In this particular case, it was actually using a legacy protocol for file sharing called SMB version 1, and so it was using that, and it found a a vulnerability um, that was known, and they essentially just wrote a deployment package that used that vulnerability to get the software
1: to be installed onto the PC. Okay, now, you know, the conspiracy guys jumped all over this story, and and I'm not saying that's necessarily bad Mm because I just— simply don't know, but uh, very quickly the rumor came out or the story came out that this was tied to something the NSA discovered or learned how to do or developed so they could hack into things for their own reasons, and somebody got a hold of that flaw or whatever we want to call it and put it out there for people to use. Is it, was this tied to the NSA in any way that you, that you know?
2: Uh, I have not heard of anything that uh, directly tied it to it. Um, the, the one most interesting part about uh, security in general is, yeah, they it, it has been discovered that they had something similar that used this exploit, whether or not the individual who wrote the software for this WannaCry ransomware uh, knew of it or if they just found it themselves separately.
1: Ah, okay. Now, uh, the other thing I, I had read about this is that it exploited a um – a piece of Microsoft code that hadn't been patched yet or people who hadn't updated their software yet is, is that what made people vulnerable is it, it went through a Microsoft that wasn't updated
2: correct so the, the code that it uh, had used was that SMB version 1 which there was a vulnerability for Microsoft patched that vulnerability uh, back in March um, however it appears as though a number of people decided not to apply that vulnerability or that patch that is from microsoft um, so they left their machines or their pcs open for infection
1: you know and that leads me to the question i mean uh, you know Nemesis. part of your your job is is to help keep clients and businesses and stuff protected and and up-to-date on stuff does this really bring home the importance of updating your software, getting the latest latest versions, latest patches?
2: Uh, it does. It, uh, it uh, changes the mindset of many people, um, especially people in the industry or people who use IT services in general. Um, it allows them to uh, start to say, you know, maybe I could be attacked. Maybe I'm not, uh-huh. um, you know, just this small company that nobody's ever going to bother to try to take my files or, or hold the ransomware on it. Um, so it allows them to typically know, or at least to understand that they uh, should start to uh, uh, take some
1: precautionary measures. You know, that, that, that being said, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here, John. Is it possible to be fully protected? Is it possible to not be vulnerable to anything out there?
2: Well, the, the landscape is ever changing and ever evolving. Um, so the, the, the answer to that is very gray, but typically no. Um, everybody is vulnerable to an attack at some point. Um, it just depends on how easy of an attack you want to make it. So the harder it's going to be, uh, the least likelihood of somebody continuing to try to breach a network would happen.
1: Now, I, I also read an article, I forget where, oh, it was in Wired Magazine uh, or Wired.com uh, that said and, uh, Chris, this made me feel even uh, dumber than usual. Uh, it said the WannaCry ransomware hackers really are coming across as amateurs. They had some real mistakes in their ransomware. Do you get that impression? I mean, uh, th- th- there was a, a kill switch in the code and, and that kind of stuff. Were where, were they likely, a, you know, a couple of high school kids or something?
2: Uh, it's it's a very good possibility, Um Yeah, there was a a part of the code that somebody, a security analyst, found that allowed him essentially to, which is why the the spread stopped so quickly, Um, and it could have been much, much worse. Um, But somebody had figured out that there is a kill switch in the software that they were able to use um, to basically stop the spread or at least slow it down. Um, Since then, there has been other variants, though um and that's typically where these things always go once you stop one somebody adjusts it modifies it and then it starts kind of all over again um so it's yeah i mean it's it's just we just got lucky essentially that uh whoever had written the software um left a uh, a piece of code in there that we were able to use to help slow it down
1: now we got a young man in our office uh chris who's who's a millennial and and he lives and breathes apple and and we was talking about ransomware, and, he, and we've talked about viruses in the past, and he kind of brushes it off a little bit. I mean, he takes it serious, but he kind of brushes off saying, well, it generally doesn't hit Mac uh, and that kind of stuff. Are Windows people the most vulnerable, or uh, are Mac people protected by, by being in Mac?
2: It's not necessarily who's vulnerable, Um the Macintosh operating system uh, has its vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that those out there that are writing the code want to look at how large of a pond they're fishing into. Okay. Um, so if you're looking at, say, market share, uh, Apple has, at least in the in the computer market share, um, I think they're below 10% um, total. So if you're going to write something that's you want to try to modernize and get some money out of, you're going to focus on those where, you know, you have uh, an 80 or 90 percent market share where you
1: can uh, you can look for a vulnerability in that system and and be able to to get some sort of a return off of it. Get the volume out there. I know that it uh, attacks the tax files and, and that kind of stuff, and keeping your software up to date, keeping your antivirus up to date, or your protection mm-hmm. software. What can people do? I mean, is do do people take actions? Do they? They open something they shouldn't? They open an odd email? Do they go to a weird website? What can people do in just their day-to-day to kind of minimize the, the chance of stepping in one of these?
2: Okay. Yeah. So obviously the, 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 the key piece is obviously making that attack surface as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all depends on what method is currently being used. Um, so you always want to have a layered approach of protection and then use some common sense Um, So if it's a vulnerability attack, um, keeping your operating system up to date, updating all your third-party software, making sure you have a current antivirus and that the antivirus that you're using is one that has good reviews. The other attacks, which are directed or phishing style, where you're getting an email or you're going to a web page or something like that that might have been compromised, Um, those ones, if you get an email from your bank or you get an email from, like, a FedEx that might have been spoofed that says, hey, we have an attachment, you need to open it um, mm. to either confirm whatever package you're getting or to confirm your bank account or, or etc. Um, the best common thing here is don't click that link or don't open that attachment. Um, what we Try to preach to everybody: is go to the website directly from your web browser of your preference, and go to your web, your, your bank website, or go to your FedEx account and check to see if there is a package, or check to see if there is something flagged in your account. Versus clicking the link in the the email, um, or opening the attachment, and that'll save a lot of people, at least for those type of an attacks. Um, if you get a weird pop-up. Um, that looks like a web browser page that says that your machine is infected with all these little bells and whistles and it doesn't look quite right, uh, the best thing to do is, is close that down and uh, either open your AV that you know that you have running and do a scan because um, there's a lot of different ways of attacks that uh, people are using, and they're just getting more and more sophisticated as time mm-hmm. goes on.
1: Now, uh, the, so, so technically, actually then when in doubt, pause. Yes. Can call someone like you do some background check. Now, finally, uh, I get hit with one of these. What can I do to recover?
2: Well, there's, there's only a, uh, if you happen to be a victim, there's only a few options you have. Um, you will will not be unencrypting your files because of the encryption method that they use and the key strength that they're using. It's it's just not an option. Um, so one thing you could do is if you have a backup, you can restore your f- files from backup, which is what we would recommend doing anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have a backup, now is a great time to start doing that even for your personal stuff. Um, I myself even have, for my own personal stuff, multiple backups of everything in the event that something happens. Right. The other option is, is the worst case is that you pay the ransom, um, where there's a giant conflict here. Um, you want your files back. If you don't have a backup, you need them. Um, so, But the issue here is that you're now paying the criminal an incentive to further these type of activities. Right. Um, and on top of that, the worst part is that even after you've paid it, there's actually not a guarantee that you're going to get your encryption key to unlock those files. You may not even get the files back, and there has been occasions like that in reports where people paid and they never got their files. So that has to be something you have to keep in the back of your mind just before you're going to pay the three hundred, six dollars $600,000, whatever the, the ransom may be at the time. Um, so that, that's something that you want to uh to keep keeping keep in the back of your mind the last option would be is if you have some security products that are usually available on the enterprise side but some of them are available to consumer products and what these do these are security products that actually track changes of unknown processes on your machine mm-hmm. and allows you to actually roll back um, any changes before the the machine was compromised um, mm-hmm. So that is a last option also. But that product has to be installed before you get an attack, not afterwards.
1: Bottom line is keep your software up to date. Have good antivirus and protection software. Back up very, very frequently. And when in doubt, pause.
2: Yeah, that's that's very good advice. And obviously if you're... Uh, running a system where the operating system is no longer supported, it may be time to get a new computer.
1: Yeah, yeah, no question about that. People are learning that uh, all over the world right now. Well, we've been spending some time with John Crabtree. He is the virtual chief information officer and director of operations at Nemesis. I really appreciate your time today, John. This has been very helpful. Hope we can tap you on the
0: shoulder again if we need you. I'd be more than happy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, John. An Economy of One, with Gary Rathbun. (music) Back to An Economy of One, with Gary Rathbun. You know, I had an interesting anniversary this week. Almost
1: slipped me by, but my producer pointed out, and that is the 20-year anniversary this week of Amazon. Amazon went public 20 years ago this week. Now, during the last 20 years, it's made 49,000% return. Now, when I say return, that means it's grown in value. And uh, it went public 20 years ago. And it's one of only 30 stocks that's accounted for one-third of the cumulative wealth generated by the entire United States stock market between the years 1926 and 2015. That's 30, one of 30 out of almost 26,000 companies that were publicly traded over the same period. Wall Street Journal reports these numbers and reports uh, the history of Amazon and the market as a whole. It's interesting because there's a difference between the average return of the stock market over time and the return of the average stock in the stock market over time. Now, over long periods of time, we all know the stock market generally generates positive average returns. But at the same time, more than half of all of those stocks lose money over their lives as public companies. Very few companies that really make it big after they go public. The other interesting thing is only one-third of 1% of all companies that were part of the stock market at any point since 1926 accounted for half of all the wealth generated For investors, fewer than 1.1% of all the stocks that existed created three quarters of the stock market's cumulative dollar gains. Now, that's a relatively small number. And I think that's where a lot of advisors, a lot of pundits, a lot of experts say you're better off just buying the index. Just buy the index and ride the ride. And there's something to be said for that. But were it not for these 30 stocks, Stock market probably wouldn't be worth owning at all. There's only a thousand top performing stocks since 1926 that uh, account for all of the stock market gains since then. You could have matched the returns of all other 96% of stocks combined by putting your money in one month U.S. Treasury bills. That's according to. Uh, uh, Professor Bess, Bessem Binder, man, that's a tough one to say. It's interesting to look at because it puts things in perspective that you never know what company is going to be the next super company, but you know pretty much most of them are not. So when Facebook, Snapchat, these kind of companies go public, maybe there'll be a, a home run but you may not know for a long time. So sometimes you're better off buying the index. Coming up next, Richard Ebling will
0: be joining me to talk about the morality of capitalism. We'll talk to him next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Joining me
1: now is Dr. Richard Ebling. He's bb Distinguished Professor of Ethics and Free Enterprise Leadership at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. He's author and editor of several books, including Monetary Central Planning and the State from the Future of Freedom Foundation. He's co-host with Jacob Hornberger of the weekly re- of the weekly video, The Libertarian Angle former president of the Foundation of Economic Education and the Ludwig von Mises Professor of Economics at Hillsdale College, one of our favorite institutions just down the road. Professor, welcome to An Economy of One. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. I, I read your stuff all the time. And uh, uh, Katie, my producer, said, you're going to love this guy from from your history. And I can see why. I mean, Hillsdale College, we talk to those guys all the time and, and uh, the... Uh, foundation of uh, economic education we read that all the time in fact that's kind of what prompted us to give you a call here at economy 1 we're big on capitalism and the individual and that's kind of uh one of your mantras isn't it as far as capitalism and uh, private property and and uh uh the individual uh looking out for themselves absolutely uh, the
3: principle of the free society is the right of the individual to be secure in his life, liberty, and honestly acquired property, and that human relationships should be based upon peaceful and voluntary association and exchange. It's the ideas that the Founding Fathers had in mind when they talked about those inalienable rights to your life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That means that you have a right to peacefully go about your business, and the government is there to protect your liberties and not to violate them.
1: Now, how come we've gone so far... Uh, into the weeds on that. It seems like uh, every day I hear some story, some whining, and I don't mean to editorialize too much, but some victim that wants the government to solve the problem, wants wants the government to to make us all equal, that if I have a little bit more money than you do, I obviously I stole it from you. How did we get to this point from that beginning?
3: Well, the tragedy of it is, and it originates... Uh, in the uh, 18th, but especially the 19th century, with the rise of modern socialism and the idea that if uh, someone has more than you, uh, higher income, greater accumulated wealth, they must have acquired it through some nefarious method of plunder, exploitation, theft, and therefore uh, his gain must be at your expense. And therefore it is not uh, an illegitimate taking from let's say, the rich or the well-to-do or, to use that modern phrase, the 1%, because surely they really don't have it honestly. So to redistribute it from them... To those who, in material and other senses, seems to be le- seem to be less well-off, well, that's only fair and just. So they basically rationalize and justify what amounts to theft. The fact is, is that if an individual has produced something through his own honest and peaceful effort, or has acquired it through trade with another based upon his efforts, then it is a legitimately and honestly belonging to him, and should be respected by our senses of morality, and by the principles of the legal system of a free society.
1: Now, how much... But, Go ahead.
3: But this rise of socialism in the 19th century, in which uh, generated the collectivist nightmares that we saw in the 20th century, mm-hmm. Soviet communism, uh, uh, Mao's China, and the other forms of socialism. We we should remember that, 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 that the, the Nazi regime, the full name of the Nazi party, was the National Socialist. Right. Uh, Workers' Party. All of them are variations on the same theme that the state should control, manage, and direct, and should redistribute and control the affairs and the, and the productions of the citizenry, guided by an, a, a political elite's conception of the good, the beautiful, and the just.
1: Now, doesn't uh, uh, one of the foundation stones of, uh, of socialistic thought, or even communistic thought, isn't one of their foundation stones the fact, or the thought process? That the economic pie is fixed? That it isn't ever expanding?
3: Yes. The the idea is that somehow uh, the, the economic pie, that is the material stuff, is somehow magically produced without asking by whom? through what effort, through someone else's saving, to be able to have the resource and financial wherewithal to do the investing, uh, to invest in the machines, the tools, the equipment with which labor that may be hired is then able to produce the vast amount of goods and services we take for granted. All of that is just set aside and somehow there's just this pie. And what government is concerned with is to divvy up the slices of the pie without ever imagining that if you don't ask how the pie, gets made, if you keep slicing it up, you may uh, may end up destroying the incentives for people to work, save, and invest, and the pie may not only not grow, but in principle, if you tax and regulate enough, the pie will get smaller.
1: You know, it, it's funny because uh, I, I've said on this show many, many times <laughs> that uh, the pie is ever-expanding, and that I'm glad we're not all equal. Uh, because there's a lot of people out there who are a lot smarter than I am that create things that, that I really enjoy. But one of the phrases you use that I have used many times, and it goes back to reading Ayn Rand and Ludwig von Mises and Hayek and, and all these people, is that capitalism is moral. And that's kind of a lost thought in some of these people's minds as well, isn't it? Yes.
3: See, wh- wh- all that capitalism says... Whether you want to call it capitalism, the free market, the free enterprise or the private enterprise system, it merely all boils down to that idea that the individual, as long as he is peaceful and honest in his dealings with others, should be allowed to live for himself to decide his goals, purposes, and and ambitions, and to go about using the means at his disposal, or which he acquires honestly in trading with others, uh, to his own advantage. Now, in the free market, as Adam Smith 250 years ago explained, uh, in a system of division of labor where we're all interdependent, if you have something that I want and I can't kill you, and I can't steal it from you, and I can't cheat or defraud you to get it, then what's the only way I can acquire it? I have to ask myself in my own self-interest, how do I apply my skills, knowledge, creativity, and abilities and the resources that I might have to make something? that you will value highly enough to take it in trade in exchange for what you have that I desire. And therefore, as if by an invisible hand, as Adam Smith says, each man in his own self-interest goes about his tasks and improves not only his own circumstances, but through this interdependent system of trade, the material circumstances of all of us in society.
1: Now, by having that, that free interaction, that free market, that capitalistic interaction. Um, I don't understand why so many people don't come to the conclusion that a business owner, a a provider of services and products, it's in their best interest to act honestly, to provide a good product, to not poison their uh, clientele, their customers. Um, They seem to think that we have no choice that we have to do business with everybody so the government has to come in and put a gun to that business owner's head to provide those services in a way that they, they think is best. Why is it the, the long road of education or lack of education that's got us to this point where people don't understand that dealing honestly with other people is the way to grow the business and, and, and have that free trade? Well, I think
3: that that it's fairly simple when you have an opportunity to to sit down with a person and explain this logic, and if they have a little bit of an open mind. Mm -hmm. But with the political rhetoric and the collectivist ideology that so embitters public discourse today and has for a long time, it makes it difficult. You know, I'll be in my classroom, and I'll I'll ask the students, when was the last time you were in a shoe store? And you tried on a pair of shoes, uh, walked around a little bit, but decided that it wasn't quite what you were looking for, the price wasn't quite what you were willing to pay. And as you were about to leave the store, some guy with a club or a gun in his hand says, the boss says you ain't leaving until you buy something. (laughs) Now, the fact is we never have that situation, because in a free market economy, no one can compel you to enter into a contract or an exchange. Without your free consent, you are free to leave that shoe store and walk down the, the, the mall hall and go to a different shoe store or buy some other product or go home having bought nothing. Right. That is the underlying principle. So how does, how does the businessman get your business? By ultimately being honest. No business that we take for granted in our everyday purchases stays in business without our repeat business. I shop for, at the supermarket not just once, but every week or every couple of weeks to do my, 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 my food purchases. And it's in the interest of that supermarket to see that what they advertise and what they sell meets up to the promises and the qualities that, 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 that they say are in their products. Otherwise, I will not return. If government fails to meet our expectations about a service that it says it's going to provide or a product or anything else, if we're disappointed, we can't stop shopping there and refuse to pay. They will keep doing it, and they'll have the money to keep doing it because they can compel us to pay taxes. The businessman cannot force us to buy his
1: product. You know, it's even more so today because when you say word of mouth, you know, in the old days, I'm a baby boomer. In the old days it was literally word of mouth. Today it's a digital world of mouth or word of of mouth. So uh today if I'm not happy with a with a uh a business owner, I can tell 10,000 people in a blink of an eye.
3: Well, even more than that. Just think of this these episodes that uh, have plagued united airlines recently yes. Yes. now now it's not only bit word of mouth people are showing this from videos on their camera on social media right. now now uh, united airlines at first tried to backtrack and double talk but they realized that they better get their act in gear because there's more than one airline servicing most metropolitan areas around the country or even the world and if that's their reputation they are threatened with the loss of a lot of airline business.
1: And and you notice they settled almost in record time. Absolutely. <laughs> so they weren't going to drag that out for months. So uh, uh, that's uh, interesting. Well, we've been speaking with Dr. Richard Ebling. He's BB&T Distinguished Professor of Ethics and Free Enterprise Leadership at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, Professor, this has been a real treat for me. Uh, time just flew by. I wish I had you for for another hour or so. i got a lot of questions. I hope we can uh, uh, tap you on the shoulder again soon and
0: continue the conversation.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'd be delighted to join you again.
0: Appreciate it. You be well. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. To an Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Is it just me, or are you getting tired
1: of this garbage? Also, now by garbage, I mean the absolute blatant, childish, petty attack on everything that President Trump does, attack on this country. I got to tell you, I pretty much lost faith in Washington, D.C. I don't see a big difference between Republicans and Democrats. There are differences. I understand that. But the bottom line is, I've said it many, many times, bottom line is still all these congressional people care about is getting reelected so they can maintain their power, maintain their money, massage their egos, and... Not really give a hoot about their constituents or the country as a whole. People have tried to tell me, well, President Obama, when he was first elected, went through a lot of this too. Uh, No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Let's look back at anything and you will see anybody that raised any criticism about President Obama immediately was branded a racist. Now, President Trump's been in office not even 200 days yet, and everybody's talking impeachment, 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 obstruction of justice, shared information with the Russians. None of it is true, and uh, they're not going to impeach him. It just bothers me that this guy can't scratch his nose on camera without somebody saying he's signaling a secret signal to the, to the Russians. The progressives, the liberals, whatever label we want to put on them, are so incensed about Trump being the president that their goal is to shut everything down. Look at what happened to Fox News. The truth has not come out yet. Maybe the truth will will bear out uh, what some people are saying, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be different than what many people are thinking. But Fox News is being severely damaged. And the presidency, of course. Miss USA. I don't know if you saw this this week. Uh, young lady by the name of Kara McCullough. Uh, who's a nuclear physicist? She's an employee at the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And when she was asked after she won if healthcare was a right or a privilege, she said definitely a privilege. Next day, whoa, she changed her position. Now it's a right, and she hopes that it's a right for all worldwide. Somebody had a little meeting with her, I think. Somebody explained the facts of life about making a statement like that and what it uh, uh, what it could cost her going forward. These people want to shut down free speech. They want to shut down any difference of opinion. You cannot have a difference of opinion. The left now has not shied away from violence. An assault. Look at town hall meetings for Republicans around the country and what's happened. People are chasing them down in cars in Tennessee. Uh, A woman chased down a representative, drove him off the road. When, when, When would that happen in the past? The fact is, it wouldn't happen in the past. It wouldn't have happened. We were civil. And now civility has gone away, and the media promotes it. Politicians promote it. Organizers promote it. Rich, rich, rich people that want to see the world burn promote it. And how do we answer this? Do we answer violence with violence? As a conservative... My first reaction is, no, I don't want I, I to sink to that level. But on the other side of the coin, I remember learning a very valuable lesson as a child about bullies. And I was your typical 98-pound skinny kid in school. But it was small school, and I didn't really get bullied too much, not to uh, where it uh, screwed up my whole life. But I remember one kid uh started in on me for one some reason or another and uh i took it got away from it avoided him and uh, the day came when i'd had enough and 98 pound weakling or not beat the crap out of him if you can picture a 98 pound weakling sitting on top of somebody else's chest wailing away at their face that was me Got thrown out of school, of course, for fighting. Went home. My dad asked me the story. I told him the story. And uh, that was the end of it. He knew there was a life lesson right there. You can push me so far, but there is a line in the sand. There is a line. And I've said many times, the rules of engagement are established by the enemy. You lay your hand on me, maybe I'll turn the other cheek. But after a certain period of time, I won't turn the other cheek. There comes a time when you must stand up for your principles. There comes a time when you respond in kind. For the rest of my school career, kid never bothered me never bothered me. One would say by high school, we were almost friends. But it served two lessons. One, the kid never bothered me again. And two, anybody else that thought about bothering me knew that I would draw a line in the sand. And if you cross that line, one of us is going to have a bad day, maybe both of us. I'm not a violent person by nature. Don't like touching anybody else. Don't like beating up anybody else. Certainly wouldn't want to shoot anybody else. But we're very close, very close to people hitting that line in the sand. We're very close to losing our country as we remember it, as a Constitution defines it, and as we want it. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual, be self-reliant, be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rothman. We'll see you next time.
2: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC registered investment advisor.